Welcome back to the AEC Disruptors Podcast, your platform to help push the AEC industry forward. I'm your host, Christopher Riddell, and joining me today is my co-host, Jackson Sinsat. What's going on, man? What's cracking, Chris? Not a whole lot, man. Celebrating a Braves victory last night, moving on to the next series. Always a good day in Atlanta. Yeah, and uh, by the time people hear this, you know, they have no idea which series you're talking about. That could be, you know, the... I could be forecasting. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but anyway, no, today's guest was a great one. We had uh, Jim McCutcheon. He's the president of Copiana on with us. And we talked about this idea of vertical farming and biophilic design. And it was really cool to hear a little bit about uh, their approach to this concept of vertical farming and how it's being introduced into the commercial properties and, you know, really bringing people together. What'd you think of it? I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it's definitely an episode that we kind of branched out on because I don't think we've ever talked about landscape architecture, at least not since I joined on. And it's something that, um, you know, I used to not be interested in, but I'm really interested in now. Um, like my favorite hobby is just keeping my grass green, <laughs> which, you know, doesn't have a whole lot to do with farming or anything. Um, but it's definitely important. And I think you know, the main theme of the episode was really community. Um, so what they're doing there is helping to build community, um, you know, within these buildings, um, along with all of the other good stuff that it's doing, like helping with food insecurity um, and reducing carbon, because, you know, rather than a truck bringing tomatoes to the grocery store, and then you drive to the grocery store to grab said tomato, which you don't know where it came from, you can get it from right there where you're living um, on the harvest days. And um, yeah, it was really cool um, in an episode. I, I hope we do more like that. I agree. No, it was a good one. So we hope you get to listen to it, enjoy, and check back for more. Joining us today is Jim McCutcheon, president of Copiana. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Like we were just talking about, good Braves win yesterday, so can't complain. <laughs> yeah, certainly in Atlanta, we can't complain. When uh, this comes out, hopefully, you know, the Braves will have another uh, series win. We'll see. Very true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, as we kind of set the stage a little bit, you know, our big topic for today kind of is this idea of vertical farming. But before we get there, I'd like to hear a little bit about, you know, who are you? Um, tell us a little bit about Copiana, kind of what got you inspired to even start Copiana? Yeah, you know, actually, it kind of goes way back. Um, uh, I guess that's the, the, the starting point of it. When I was in high school, um, uh, right here in Atlanta, and I'd take my uh, trip to go to school every day. I used to pass this little farm um, right along a very busy interchange today, and um, I was always fascinated as, as to what was going on on that farm. Uh, uh, I always loved to see the different sizes of the crops and when they would do their harvests and all the various things that were going on. I always found it really fascinating, uh, and then one day, it was just gone. And today, if you drive by that location, um, there are million dollar homes on that site. And, um, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's progress, if you want to say it that way. But it always had me wondering, where did that farm go? Did they just stop? Did they move? I mean, what's happened? And then when you think about that, and you expand that thought, it's like, frankly, where have all the farms gone? I mean, they keep getting pushed further and further 
out of the urban environment. So I always had this desire to try to bring urban farming back, you know, farming back into the city, if you will. Uh, but, you know, traditional farming uh, doesn't really work. There's not the space for it. We don't necessarily have the light. There's all these uh, variety of things, uh, code issues, whatever it may be. So um, never was very successful with it until I discovered vertical farming and uh, found a system that I really enjoy. Uh, spent a lot of time uh, researching it, playing with it. Uh, my wife thought I was nuts with all the things I put in the front yard, trying to uh, figure it all out. Um, but then ultimately realized, yeah, uh, she and I worked it, worked it together and realized that, yeah, this is the answer. Uh, and ultimately we created uh, Copiana. And today we farm on commercial properties. Uh, we are farming inside of lobbies. We're farming on rooftops and courtyards, uh, parking decks, um, conference rooms, uh, any number of places, uh, you know, anywhere that you can uh, imagine pretty much we can farm and we're bringing that kind of hyper-local uh, produce to folks, which is more, more important now than ever. I think that's a great, um, great reason to get started. I remember when we first talked, it was interesting to even hear about kind of that origin story of kind of looking to the, uh, to the past of where these farms used to go. Um, before we kind of jump into the bigger topic, you want to help us set the stage on this concept of biophilic design and kind of where that plays into in this whole story? Yeah, so, you know, um, so often we're designing spaces um, with, I mean, certainly with function in mind, um, uh, you know, uh, moving, moving people through spaces, doing so forth, uh, you know, and often what we're doing is, uh, is doing it with hard materials um, um, and, and not really looking for opportunities to kind of bring the live environment uh, into spaces. We kind of look at plant material and that kind of thing as a way to kind of put off to the edges and, and to beautify a location, but it actually can be very functional. Uh, so from a biophilic design standpoint, um, it's using live walls, it's using even products like ours to, to kind of create and frame spaces within a, within a property uh, to bring that, uh, that living environment back into the building. And particularly in light of the pandemic and everything else that we've been through, uh, that desire for freshness, fresh air, uh, those types of things uh, is, is more in demand than ever before. As somebody, um, so growing up, I had no interest in doing anything outside if it wasn't sports. <laughs> so anytime my dad would wake me up to go mow the grass, that was like my worst moment of the week or tend to the garden or things like that. But as I got older and I went to college, um, you know, I worked on the grounds crew at a golf course, mainly for the free golf. Me too. Yeah. Yep. And also I just, I worked for another landscaping company, um, building like rock gardens and, um, doing things like that. So with all of that, you know, experience I had in college, it really like made me love doing that kind of work. And, you know, even if it's not, you know, making your own garden, um, why do you think it's important to have a like a good landscape in the built environment what you know whether or not it's a garden where it's producing food or not yeah and, and by the way i grew up doing the same thing at a golf course so i totally get it um i just think there's a natural instinct whether anybody wants to acknowledge they like doing the work or not there's a comforting aspect to seeing 
plant materials. It just it's it's the softness. It's the it's being able to watch something grow and change as opposed to you know a statue or a painted wall or a lamp in the corner or whatever it may be. Uh, it just brings us back to nature, just to our very core. So uh, I think people truly enjoy that. I mean, there's a lot of things that you hear about, even people taking a like you know nature baths or whatever, where they just walk outside and they they go th- or forest bathing and they walk through the forest and you know the all of the stuff that you get just from being around nature is important. So it's interesting to see that we're finally incorporating it into our design further. Yeah, I mean, so think about it. When you're having a tough moment, uh, what what oftentimes you do? You stand up and you get up and go. I got to get some air. I got to go for a walk for a second, whatever. Uh, that's just our natural course of being. Yeah. So um, we, we kind of mentioned it, but can you kind of help us understand, like, what is vertical farming necessarily? Yeah. So, you know, when, again, when we think of traditional farming, we've got soil, um, we've got uh, land that's needed, um, obviously sunlight, uh, water, all those types of things. But even in that environment, you're limited in terms of the crops you can grow by certain seasons, the amount of harvest that you're going to get, that kind of thing. What vertical farming does is it is a soilless farming system. And there's a number of different um, ways to do it and and, and systems to do it, but all of them uh, are soilless systems that uh, allow you to go vertical. So for instance, with our system, uh, we can farm an acre's worth of uh, uh, produce in less than 4,000 feet. So 10% of the land and, you know, we, we are much more efficient in the sense that uh, we use 90% less water in this because it's a circulating water system that stays, uh, you know, in, in space with the, with the plant material and so forth. Uh, so uh, it is a much more efficient way to do it, plus the ability to farm indoors vertically um, allows year-round growth. Uh, it allows multiple harvests a year. In our case, uh, we've got a harvest coming off of our farms every single month that go to our clients and tenants. Uh, so it's a faster system um, and, uh, and very much cleaner. In terms of, uh, you think about the romaine, lettuce, and all the things that kind of get recalled, most of that is soil-borne illnesses and so forth. Uh, uh, and we just don't have any of that. So it's a, it's a cleaner and healthier system, uh, an easier system to manage inside of an urban environment. Are all those harvests for the like local people or are those getting then shipped somewhere? Well, it's kind of fun. You know, we, uh, most, you know, our, our program is built around the idea that we're in that space. Uh, property management company has hired us to put those farms in place. We're there every week farming them. And then once a month, we have the event where we have the harvest and everybody lines up and gets their produce and, you know, uh, recipe cards and all different types of things. So um, what ends up happening is, is uh, I kind of joke if you're I'm going to age myself a little bit, but, you know, it kind of goes back to the pet rock days, right? Where you just had this thing where you just wanted to carry your rock around. I mean, everybody loves the farms and whenever times we have to move them somewhere on a property due to a renovation or whatever, property managers always laugh because they still tell us we get phone calls. Did you take our farm away? No, 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 no. You know, um, and in light of the pandemic too, um, when that happened, um, we needed to pull all of our farms back. But what was great was 90% of our clients stayed with us and uh, continued to 
have their farm, if you will, in our greenhouses. And we provided all of that to uh, the City of Refuge, which is a, a, a local organization here that helps folks. Uh, so we, we do donate quite a bit of uh, produce uh, from our farms as well. So it's a good blend of making people happy and, and meeting people's needs as well. You mentioned, um, you know, how you kind of changed during the pandemic. When we first met and talked a little bit, you talked about some of the things the pandemic kind of opened our eyes to in terms of food and how vertical farming and, you know, may help solve those problems. Can you speak a little bit to some of the challenges we saw come out of the pandemic? Yeah. yeah and, you know, and, and to back up a little bit on that, uh, leading into that, um, every major metropolitan area has a city planning unit that is focused on the future of that city and what we're going to look like. And they're looking at infrastructure and power and housing and uh, all those types of things. Um, what many of them realized um, at one point was that one of the major pieces they had left out of it um, was the food side of things. And when you look at resiliency and, and in case of a disaster, how resilient are we? Um, they had forgotten about it. So many of them are beginning to bring urban ag directors into the program as well. And so that focuses on food deserts or food insecurity areas, uh, uh, places where folks can't get to uh, food readily. Um, if they're not within a mile's walking distance of a grocery store, most of the time what they're going to do is end up buying their uh, food at, at a local mart market or whatever it may be, a gas station. Um, and what do they not have there? Fresh food, right? Typically, it's a lot of processed food, which leads to health and disease issues and all the other things. So food deserts are a really major issue. And you can pretty much look up a map of any major metropolitan area. You'd be shocked to see how many food deserts there are uh, uh, right around us. With that being said, what the pandemic also did was for the first time, many folks realized that their food doesn't actually come from a grocery store. Uh, because once you walked into the grocery store and went, wait a minute, where is everything? Um, all of a sudden, food insecurity became a, a, an issue for everyone. Yeah, and you can't grow toilet paper either. <laughs> <laughs> no, you cannot. No, you cannot. And so, you know, this idea of not only having local produce, but actually having it hyper-local. I mean, it is literally in the lobby. It's right here. I'm good. Um, uh, that begins to resonate more and more with people. So we're talking to a lot of developers right now about building greenhouses on new developments, um, partially just for the, the amenity, uh, but also to kind of have the farm for that location. It's our farm. Uh, and it also addresses some of the food insecurity issues that could crop up again if something happens. Yeah, you you mentioning the pandemic and um, you know retaining ninety percent of your customers. I feel like you know more than ever during the pandemic, um, <laughs> what you all did was really important because I read that you know communities have the option to help with the maintenance, right? And I bet that was a great escape for a lot of people being able to go out to their community garden and, you know, help out with it and just get out of their, you know, apartment. Yeah, we did a lot of, uh, we did a lot of videos too and sent them uh, off to our clients, uh, teaching people how to, how to do some things at home to be able to kind of uh, do it while they were there. Uh, we, we created drive-through harvest as well so that uh, people could come by and, and, 
you know, literally just pull up in their car and we'd hand them, uh, you know, their, their harvest for that time. So we kept engaged with everybody. The nice thing is now every single client has us back on their properties. Uh, so we're excited about that. Are you seeing an increase in these commercial properties, whether they be um, multifamily or something else, adopting this idea of having greenhouses on site? So every single uh, developer, as a matter of fact, I'm meeting with another one today uh, that I've talked about uh, with this, you know, it, it, is a, it is a different kind of concept. Our, our, our program, if you think about a traditional office building, everybody's kind of done the fitness center, they've done the coffee shop, um, they've done the business center, done all those types of things. Um, this is the first thing that really kind of provides something for everyone and they can take it home with them. Uh, got so many developers that are really intrigued with this idea. And as we've presented it to them, it's kind of a dual purpose facility. You know, you can, you can segregate the facility in such a way that part of it is the greenhouse, the growing greenhouse. But part of it is also could be a restaurant. It could be a community gathering space. Um, it could be, you know, any number of things that become an amenity for that property. Um, and every one of them is really intrigued. And what I've told them all is this, one of you is actually going to do it. You're going to be the first one to do it. And once that person does it, then the rest of you are going to be knocking on my door going, we got to do this. This is really cool. Oh yeah. I mean, especially is like, there seems to be like a growing wave of people that are more conscious about the, what they put in their bodies, what they eat. You're seeing more and more organic brands pop up. Uh, I even saw like a clean medicine company the other day. So I, I would expect that more people would enjoy the opportunity to go to a restaurant that they could see the farm behind, you know, the greenhouse behind yeah. and see where all their stuff's coming from. And, uh, and then, you know, how does that maybe that, you know, is there an application where grocery stores start to make their own produce? And that is happening right now. There are some locations that are doing that. We've actually got some folks that we're talking to about that. Uh, I believe out on the West Coast, I think it's Kroger and some other folks are, are, are testing that kind of thing right now. And so I do think you will see some of that uh, coming for sure. Um, are you guys familiar with ESG? Mm -mm. Uh, I Enlighten ask us. That question. Yeah, I often ask that question. Most, most people don't know, but everybody better get really uh, focused on this. ESG is an acronym that stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. Okay, it is a it is a measuring stick for businesses and how they operate. You know, as it relates to sustainability, as it relates to their people and uh, uh, diversity and training issues and so forth, and then how they govern their business from a transparency standpoint um, and the things that uh, that they share with the world about what they're about. Um, Many, many, many companies, particularly in the real estate world, are drilled down and focused on it. And if you go to their websites, they have ESG statements, ESG scorecards, so forth. Larry Fink, who is the head of um, uh, uh, BlackRock, uh, that has you know nine, what is it, something like you know nine billion square feet of assets or whatever, nine trillion dollars, I think it is worth of assets. It's flat out said, if you're not focused on ESG, you're not with us. Um, banking systems, everybody else is, is, uh, is looking at this from the standpoint that they can get credit by working with companies that are focused on ESG. What we do by bringing that built environment, by bringing uh, health, wellness, uh, produce, those types of things, uh, that dovetails nicely with everybody's ESG initiatives. 
so that is another point that we're making with folks. And that is going to be a bigger issue for all architects, uh, designers, engineers. Uh, they're going to have to be focused on, on the ESG initiatives. I could see, you know, especially when we hear all these other like um, climate initiatives that AIA puts out, um, you know, people are always going for league, green globe, all those things. Uh, but at the same time, we're asking more people to be more environmentally conscious, no matter what it is. And so it makes sense that there is this ESG is kind of a big thing that people are going to start to expect. And once a few people start to uh, demand it, you know, everyone else kind of has to fall in line. Well, the other thing that's, that is also out there is well and fit well. Are you familiar with those? Mm -mm. Okay, so well, so we're, everybody's familiar with LEED. Um, you know, focused on energy and, and those types of things. Well and FitWell are two groups that are focused on the wellness of the people inside of those buildings. You know, so how does your building support um, wellness type initiatives? And it's everything from, you know, the air that's circulated in there to the water systems, to the, to the food you have on the property, you know, the entire list of things. So just as buildings became LEED certified, there are the two competing groups right now is well and fit well. And people are starting to get those certifications as well. The pandemic also obviously drove that uh, even more. So I think ultimately it's gonna be one of those two is gonna be the, the lead of wellness on properties. Yeah, being able to simulate, you know, airflow, being able to, you know, we're, we're so concerned about congregating congregations of people now after the pandemic. And so it makes a lot of sense that we, you know, there's the idea of like the healthy building. It, it makes a lot of sense that we right. want to make sure that even now we're designing buildings that can be sustainable and consistently healthy. And so that, you know, having um, at least the biophilic design component to it makes a lot of sense because we bring all of that outdoors indoors. The AEC Disruptors podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and champion innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for the AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. Yeah, it is amazing. How many buildings did we build that you couldn't possibly open a window uh, in those buildings? Uh, and now everybody's trying to figure out how to build buildings where we can open the windows. So oh, yeah. It's, it certainly has changed. You know, for a long time, it seemed like just we, to be able to see nature. I mean, there's been a lot of studies like in the medical profession of seeing nature helps you uh, heal faster. But now we recognize like there's something to be said about just openness and having all this indoor air or outdoor air in. And, uh, you know, yeah. our home here has an attic fan, which we never really used before for some reason. And it's, it's a newer home, but they put Fabulous. it in there anyway. Yeah. And it's the most amazing thing ever to be able to pull all this outdoor air into the house, you know, and then you realize like how stale that indoor air really is. So then you add a bunch of plants on top of that, you know, you're really starting to, to go towards a healthier, healthier building. Absolutely. It's getting back to nature inside the building. Absolutely. So 
in that same vein, um, one of the things that really interests me is the water conservation piece of what you all do. Um, some people say water is going to be the next oil, um, and we don't have to get into that. But <laughs> um, uh, you said that 90% of the water is reused. Um, so this may be a dumb question, but that recycled water, are there more nutrients in that? for the plants and also what is the process like to you know get something like that set up on an existing building yeah, very good question and uh, with my other company my landscape company we are uh, seeing a tremendous uh, uh, wasting of water and through irrigation systems for many years we created a whole different division called no water it's k-n-o-w water from that standpoint to try to teach people how, how to use water more efficiently. And I agree with you about the oil concept. Um, yes, in terms of this enclosed system, um, you know, basically we have a 20 gallon reservoir at the bottom of our system and a small pump. That pump turns on for about three minutes at a time, pulls all the water to the very top. And it has a system uh, inside where it just allows that to trickle down onto the roots. Um, unlike traditional farming and unlike hydroponic farming where the roots are constantly in water, Ours are also out in the open air uh, inside of the system. Uh, so it's a very clean, I mean, you could actually eat the roots on these things. Um, so the nutrients in the air, as well as the nutrients in the water continue to recycle in this whole thing, uh, as well as the minerals and so forth that we add to it, the natural minerals. So yes, it's a very nutrient dense, um, most of us, if you've gone to the grocery store and you bought the, the little, um, the basil plant, right? Everybody's bought a basil plant at some point and put that on their counter and said, whoo, I'm doing great. I got natural stuff right here in my house. I thought that was cool too, until uh, I was able to pull uh, a basil plant right out of our system and bring it inside of my home. It's pungent. I mean, the, the aroma is amazing. The flavor is incredible. And so what you begin to realize is the difference in nutrients something that is hyper local that is grown right there and not something that's been harvested weeks before sat in a warehouse transported across the country i mean just think of the carbon footprint of that kind of thing uh, it's it's massive and so uh, not only do are you helping the environment through something like this from a water and a carbon footprint standpoint but you're getting better produce tastes better and it's more nutrient dense it's a healthier way to live Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had a guest come on and we talked about um, embodied carbon kind of on the job site. And it was amazing yeah. to hear, you know, a lot of people, I think, just out of sight, out of mind, perhaps, I don't know, about the amount of carbon that goes into creating all the materials that we use. And so being able to bring things closer to a site, closer to a building, um, it definitely seems to have a huge impact on that carbon footprint. Well, and if you, you know, if you could see a map, and I can't show that to you right now, but there are basically around the world, there's seven different Mediterranean climates that, that is the perfect scenario to grow most of the produce that we consume uh, uh, you know, around the world. If you look at those Mediterranean climates, most of them, with the exception of California, um, are not with, you know, right next to population centers. Uh, so pretty much anything that's grown in Chile or wherever it may be, uh, that stuff has to be shipped. I mean, just... Uh, the amount of travel for that one tomato that's sitting in the grocery store uh, is incredible. Take how long it takes it to get there. 
do you all have, you mentioned your harvest takes about a month, you know, do you have a typical, um, plant that you do? I mean, is it anything, you know, what is kind of the typical harvest look like? So in an aeroponic vertical system, because we have no soil, we can't grow things like, you know, can't grow root vegetables. So things like potatoes or, or onions or uh, carrots and those kinds of things, even though we are experimenting with some carrots in some interesting ways. Um, so everything that comes off of ours are leafy greens, such as, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously, lettuces, we've probably got 20 different varieties of lettuces, um, herbs, uh, God knows how many different types of herbs we grow, uh, and then hardy greens, things like greens and kales, and those types of things. So we grow all of that on the property, and in our greenhouses, we grow all the fruiting uh, plants. It's easier to manage those inside of our environment. Um, those would be the tomatoes, the peppers, the um, cucumbers, all those types of things. And we bring those to the, uh, to the harvest when, uh, when it's harvest day. So it's, it's a well-rounded harvest, uh, for everybody. So what's the difference between, um, how you have your greenhouse set up and then like what's on site at a, at a building? So we, we farm exactly the same way in our greenhouse as we do, uh, on the properties. Um, the difference is on a property, uh, our system, uh, at the tallest, it's probably uh, six to six and a half feet tall, um, the, the, the towers themselves. In our greenhouses, they're about eight to nine feet tall. Uh, so it's a, it's a really pretty spectacular view when you see, uh, when you plant a tomato plant at home, you put it in the ground and let it grow up and you put that little cage around it and this, that, and the other. We do it the exact opposite. It's at the very top of that and it cascades down um, and we, we grow that way. So it's a really unique and pretty cool way to see things um and you know when we grow on the properties people have asked me well it's right here in the lobby what if somebody touches this stuff and i said well when you go to the grocery store and you pick up that tomato uh do you have any idea how many people have touched that tomato before you you did none you have no idea at all so what do you do when you go home you wash it right same kind of gig and i think we can teach society that to be healthier and to get that hyperlocal thing, um, the ability to grow right there uh, is going to be a, a completely accepted thing in our society in no time. Do you, do you see there being a residential component to to the vertical farming concept? Oh, no question, um, no question. There, you know, our system we have people that we uh, that we sell them to uh, for their own use at their homes. The biggest difference is, in our case, is our farmers. They're extremely well-trained. Um, no matter what system you do, whether you do traditional farming or vertical farming or whatever, I mean, you still have the same pest and disease issues that you, know, you, you, you deal with, uh, fungus or, or, um, or insects and so forth. Um, when we grow our seedlings and we grow uh, in our greenhouses, 95% of all of our pest control is done by beneficial insects. Um, we, don't, we don't really spray anything at all. And anything we do is, is natural. And that might just be for a fungus that might show up or that kind of thing. But really cool to kind of learn about the natural environment and seeing those beneficial insects taking care of the problem insects, if you will. So, uh, uh, so we've started to present that to our properties as well. Um, we have little blister packs that we can put uh, that contains some of the beneficial insects right on the towers inside the property. It's another really cool learning environment. Yeah, I, when when I think about 
things like farming, I don't think about beneficial insects and you know come to think about it, come to think of it i could use a few beneficial insects around here um so you mentioned how your people are starting to approach you um before the building is even being built so you know you, you you've already got the you know installation on existing buildings going um when doing it with new construction does that just open up so many more possibilities because you kind of have more of an input on the ideal way um, to have it situated within the building? No question. I mean, I'm, I'm trained as a landscape architect. So, so getting in on the front end of a, of a project and helping to plan, it makes it so much more effective. Uh, one of the tools that we use with everybody is uh, uh, we have some 3D uh, graphic artists that work with us. Uh, and so we'll take uh, pre-construction uh, design images and so forth and uh, we'll input uh, farming uh, uh, looks on top of that um, talking to folks about the greenhouses and whether or not it's a rooftop uh, type of installation or is it kind of a you know does it become kind of the central amenity in the middle of that community uh, we've got one client that we have a uh, he has four different buildings we have farms in every one of his buildings on a property and he's going to redevelop that entire space. And that's one of the guys that we're talking about. Maybe instead of spreading it around the different buildings, why don't we get a community greenhouse? So being able to be on the front end of that is a huge uh, uh, help to all of us, to them as well as us. Have you seen one application that kind of is used more than others, like on a building? Is it always on a rooftop? Are you seeing more one versus the other? Well, you know, in, in Atlanta, we can farm outdoors, generally call it uh, April to end of October, uh, based on weather. Um, part, of the, part of the reasoning that we built the greenhouses originally was that we thought people for the wintertime would like us to take the farms, um, uh, put them up in our greenhouses and continue to grow and bring the harvest to their clients. Well, what we discovered was the vast majority, well over 90% of them said, no, don't take the farm away please try to find a space to do it inside. We have a lighting system that we're able to use with that. Uh, and what we're finding is indoor farming in those lobbies. Um, that is the space that most of the time uh, these, these, these companies want it. And it's a, it turns into a very visible amenity. Everybody's walking into that building. They're walking by, they see it growing every week. The leasing people seeing that when they're walking in thinking that's really cool. Uh, so most of the time it's indoors, even during the, the outdoor planting season. I think it's, I think it's cool. Cause I know in my like past life, when I worked for a design firm, we would create green walls instead of medical off inside medical office buildings. But now in a way you can kind of double up on that functionality because now it could be sort of, so to speak, a green wall, but then it has a more functional application. Yeah, uh, the, the green walls are beautiful and I love them, uh, but what ultimately ends up happening is it gets to be that thing that everybody just walks by every day and doesn't really pay much attention to. It's oftentimes no different than a picture hanging on that wall. And yep. with this type of system, everybody's engaged with it. Every time they walk by it, they see a different thing, they see it growing, and they realize that I hope I get to take that piece of produce home with me uh, on Friday when the harvest comes about. 
It's such a cool concept. I know um, this summer I went and visited my wife's grandparents in Iowa and they have a senior living, they're in a senior living facility and near her grandparents, they had an outdoor community garden. But, you know, for all of these, um, these grandparent age people who've gone to these senior living facilities, a lot of them were used to having their own gardens, their own way of um, doing stuff. And then to be able to, even in a small scale community garden, be able to have access to all of that seemed to be such a huge impact. So I could really see how it starts to take up even in, you know, senior livings and all of these things that are getting popped up. Yeah. It, you know, it's what's interesting when one of our very first harvests, um, we handed uh, uh, some produce to a gentleman, nicely wrapped up. Uh, thank you for coming today. And he looked at it and he said, well, I've been watching this grow. And he said, so I can eat this. Is that right? I'm like, yes, indeed. That's what this is all about. So what we realized was we can't just hand this to people. We need to educate people as well. So we do a lot of uh, video work. We have recipe cards and other things to teach people. I just handed you some Swiss chard, but what do I do with Swiss chard? Well, here's how you can use it and that kind of thing. And you're right, we do have a lot of senior living facilities and that is a different dimension from the standpoint that it is often a reminder for those folks who might've been, had a little plot at home that they farmed and so forth. Uh, it brings a different kind of joy to them. Uh, we had uh, one, young lady, I will say, at a, at a senior living facility who was so proud of the fact that she, uh, she had been eating off of her lettuce one leaf at a time for four weeks and was so impressed with it. And uh, so she's one of our biggest fans now. That's so cool. Yeah, it, it, it seems like, you know, Copiana is doing a lot of good things in terms of helping with, you know, food insecurity, reducing the food deserts. It's also environmentally friendly because, you're not using more water than you need to, and you're using it as efficiently as possible. Right. Um, but it seems like more than anything, it helps to build a sense of community. Um, and, you know, that's something that's really needed. <laughs> so, you well, know, just, yeah. it, it brings a, a smile to a lot of people's faces, all these stories that you're telling. It just seems like, you know, it makes people really happy to have access to this and be able to be a part of it. I'm really glad you picked up on that because that is one of our central uh, uh, selling points is the fact that it really builds a sense of community. I mean, uh, we have some buildings that are single tenant. It's a uh, state farm facility, for instance, is one that, you know, um, uh, uh, that, you know, it's all of their employees there. So, but then we have many multi-tenant buildings and you have folks that have never spoken to each other. They walk by each other in that building, have no reason to even know each other, but they'll gather around that uh, that farm and start talking about it and looking at it. We have one client that had an old smoker's hut uh, that was in a courtyard in between two buildings and we turned that into a farm and now it's a gathering space around that. So that sense of community is really important. Um, a lot of people are spending a little bit of time at the office now and not as much. Uh, we overheard somebody at a harvest the other day two people standing there. One person looked at the other one and said, I thought you weren't coming in today. And they're like, no, it's harvest day. I always come in on harvest day. So, <laughs> so it does build that sense of community for sure. Giving people a reason to go back to the office. Um, you know, you've talked a lot about how the, your farmers are well-educated. Your team is educating those that come to the harvest, you know, how internally at Copiana, um, you know, is there, how have you adopted this idea of continuous improvement to be able to consistently research new trends or, you know, what is it you all are doing to make sure you're sort of staying up on 
whatever is current in this uh, in this field? That's a great question. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, I have a landscape company, um, uh, been in that business for 32 years. Um, and so it's a pretty well-oiled machine. And, and if you decided you wanted to start a landscape company, there are tons of resources to teach you how to do that. Uh, what we're doing right now is a very unique model. At the moment, I think we are the only company in the country that's doing what we're doing. Uh, so there were no resources to figure out um, how to do this. And so we had to figure it all out ourselves, a lot of trial and error. Uh, some of the things that we discovered by farming inside of buildings uh, you don't really necessarily realize uh, pest pressure with people walking in and out, things come off their clothing, that kind of thing. And so we, you know, we had to really kind of learn how to deal with all of that. So a lot of trial and error. We failed in a lot of ways early on. Um, and so, but we know the system, we know the recipe now that works really, really well. Um, and, um, you know, uh, it's not a complicated process for our farmers, but uh, timing is everything. If you, if you, if you let something get behind, we have a problem. So we're very diligent in making sure that we're on top of what's happening on those farms at all times, just as you would with any farm. When you kind of, as we kind of wrap up here, as you look to the future of what vertical farming is and even what you all are looking at, is there any, anything that's got you really excited or future applications that are got you really excited? Yeah, you know, it is really, what's interesting to me is uh, you're seeing some massive scale farming, in, indoor vertical farming companies, uh, Aero Farms, Plenty, Gotham Greens, all these companies. And these are really focused on mass production. Um, uh, one of the interesting ones, probably the most interesting one that I, I find is App Harvest, um, which is a company that's up in Appalachia. Uh, they, they have taken folks that didn't necessarily, old coal miners, all those types of things, and turned them into farmers. They've got 64 acres under glass where they're growing tomatoes and that kind of thing. Uh, uh, Aero Farms, those kind of companies have 30-foot uh, high beds of, of things inside of warehouses. So you're getting more and more of this uh, coming, but that's not really... Uh, they're at a scale where, you know, you'll find those products in a grocery store. Uh, what I do think is going to be one of the trends is trying to get it local, the hyper-local concept. Have people be able to see, feel, learn about, uh, and, and, and become a part of uh, their community that way uh, and, and, and bringing farming in. I think you're going to see more and more and more of that. You are going to see one of these greenhouses up, and I promise you, as soon as you do, I'm going to get calls all over the country about this. I hope you do. And I'm sure, you know, it may not be in our lifetime, but if, if we ever go to a, you know, something like Mars or the moon, the concept of vertical farming seems like a perfect fit. Oh yeah. It's critical. Yeah. There's no other choice. Absolutely. So anything you got, Jackson? I, I just wanted to say that I've been inspired to go buy a planter box and <laughs> You know, really what I wanted to do is start raising monarch butterflies, but now I want to start, uh, you know, growing cucumbers. So <laughs> this has been a really enlightening discussion. Um, oh. And I'm, I, I'm, I really, I admire what you all are doing over at Copiata. I think it's a great concept. And, you know, I, I, I think it's going to bring people together in urban environments and also, you know, Help them to save some time and not have to go to the grocery store for all their produce because and they can stay get it. healthier. Yep. Mm -hmm. They can get it from their own house. That's right. 
Absolutely. Well, Jim, we appreciate uh, you joining us. Well, I, I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. You guys are great. And I love what you're doing. Uh, you've got so many great episodes and, uh, and, and the disruptors aspect of it is really, really important because whether you like it or not, change is inevitable. It's just whether you grow with it or not. So I think you guys are doing a great job. I really appreciate the opportunity to be part of the team. Thanks for listening to the AEC Disruptors podcast. Enjoy this episode. Leave us a rating or review while sharing with your friends and coworkers. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a LinkedIn request or follow our LinkedIn page and let me know if there's a topic you'd like to hear. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for listening. The AEC Disruptors is directed by Christopher Riddell, produced by Todd Wyant, edited by Eric Daniel, and co-hosted by Jackson Sensat. The AEC Disruptors is an applied software production, copyright applied software 2021.